want to say hello to all our exponential friends and family and uh, who knows, maybe even a few fans out there. My name is Dave Ferguson, and I serve as the exponential president, uh, as well as the host for our exponential Chicago regional event, which is going to be here. And we are really pumped. I'm actually coming to you from our yellow box location, and it's going to be here November 2nd and 3rd. Uh, 2021, right here outside of Chicago. And Drew is with us. How you doing, Drew? Hey, Dave. Good to, good to be with you. So honored to be here. A, a friend of mine, and we're also thrilled that he's going to be one of the speakers for Exponential Chicago. And um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw out a bio here. You can, anything I get wrong, you can just kind of correct me, okay? Here we go, Drew. Yeah. What I have for you is, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Oak Church Midtown, which is enough for most people, but then as well, founding pastor of Hope Church New York City, which is a family of diverse churches in and around New York City. And then on top of that, as if one network's not enough, he co-founded the New City Network, which is a network of churches that value multi-ethnicity, spirit-filled ministry, emotional health, and mission. What would you like to add to that? Uh, just... Trying to be a servant of all, I suppose, you know, um, yeah, but those are some of the hats that I wear and, uh, yeah, really honored and just trying to follow in your footsteps, Dave, you've been a great mentor and really a great model for so many, including myself. So, yeah. You're very kind and flattery will get you everywhere. (laughs) That's, that's my goal. That's my goal. Um, we're going to. Uh, talk to you a little bit about some of the theme that we have for Exponential this year. It's uh, Together, the Great Collaboration. And we specifically have him speaking all together with God. We kind of feel like that's the foundation. If you're not together with God, if there's not a community of, of happening there between you and God there, then it's pretty hard for you to make that happen, really, in your family, with your team, and then as we ultimately talk about, even with the church planning network. So we're going to go there a little bit. Let's let's back up a little bit too. You how how long have you been married, Drew? Uh, yeah, so been married now for thirteen years. So kids, yes, and two kids, David and Avery, nine and five, and my wife Christina, uh, who I met here in New York City back in two thousand four. So yeah, I'll take uh, jump in. Just, we didn't get together last year at Exponential. Why don't you bring everybody up to speed and what's happening? Um, with your ministry, what's happening with the church, a little bit network. I know we're going to get into some of that, but even kind of what's the, what's the environment in New York? With this? Yeah, I think what's been fascinating, obviously New York was hit rather hard during the pandemic and it was an incredibly grieving time. Uh, we had people we knew who were sick and who passed away or who lost loved ones. Um, haunting sounds of sirens in the night. And it it was a really difficult season. And then it was interesting because it was almost like a tale of two cities. So on one hand, uh, a lot of the neighborhoods where uh, people of color lived, uh, where they were mostly essential workers, those were the neighborhoods that were hit hard in terms of sickness and death. And then meanwhile, the more uh, upper-class neighborhoods. So for instance, our church is in Midtown Manhattan, uh, a lot of very upwardly mobile folks, um, they had the capacity and the means to leave the city. And so a lot of families and people that had means ended up leaving the city. And so there was a grief that was happening on a very kind of life and death sense, like around, and then there was a grief around losing so many friends that were leaving and departing the city, wondering if they'll ever come back. 
And so I remember actually being on an early call with Tim Keller. And one of the things that he was saying was uh, one of the things that he learned at um, after 9-11 was he said there was so much significant resources and help that was being poured into the city after 9-11 and uh, both volunteers and financial resources because the city was hurting so much. And he said there was such a blitz of activity and there's just this adrenaline, uh, this rally. And uh, maybe three to five years later, he said a number of pastors and leaders ended up burning out. And he realized that it wasn't necessarily uh, because of something that had started right then and there three to five years later, but it had actually built up after the previous three years that all of this energy that had gone into this blitz of activity of wanting to be the church of serving the needs. And because people weren't tending to their souls and their marriages and their families, uh, three to five years later is when they felt the effects of uh, the wearying kind of battles that had been fought during 9-11. And so it was kind of with that in the beginning of the pandemic that we were just kind of looking to really, of course, be as much the hands and feet of Jesus in a time when our city needed it, but also thinking about the long game. Like, what does it look like for us to be thriving three to five years from now um, and beyond? And so that's where we really doubled down. And, you know, our church in particular, like our Midtown church, uh, we probably lost about 50% of our folks. Our giving was down 30%. Um, and I know that in some churches, I think, I think every church around kind of the world has felt the impacts of the pain of that. You know, we had violent break-ins to our building. We had all sorts of conflicts that were happening and um, it's been a really hard year, but I think in many ways, um, I think because we knew that we wanted to be in it for the long run, I think we really try to double down on what does it mean to be spiritually vibrant, emotionally healthy in the midst of it, that we're able to weather some of the grief and the losses and to do so with an eye towards whenever we emerge out of this, can we be a people who have um, just a vibrant, dependent belief in Jesus and what he will do in this next season? And so, um, so I, I think that's just kind of my, my reflections over the past year and a half of where we've been. New York City has lost a lot of people, at least in, our, in Midtown and beyond. What's been fascinating is that there's like tons of young people. I'm, I wonder if the same is happening in Chicago. Like we're being inundated now with 20 somethings who are trying to take advantage of cheaper rent and who basically want to be in the city. And so it's been fascinating to see that dynamic where kind of the older generation, some of them have passed on or moved out, but then a bunch of young 20 somethings have brought this new energy to the city. And so we're, we're just getting ready to revamp and uh, see what God might do in this next season. Um, I think our family feels uh, as energized as we've ever been. There's still been obviously a lot of latent grief that we're feeling, but um, definitely trying to remain as hopeful as possible. So, so that's kind of where we're at. Sorry. I don't know if that's, you know, that was more personal reflections wrapped in with what's happening in the city and uh, stuff that I'm thinking about. It's just kind of, you know, one of the things we talk about this, exponential being like a community with a cause and yeah i think kind of like an extended family and i do feel like kind of like i mean you've talked on the phone and you know exchanged some texts but i don't think i've seen you since i mean it's been a couple of years now right yep yep yeah hard to believe yeah but yeah how you doing well i mean it sounds like like all of us yeah it's been a hard hard season it sounds like you've you're personally 
and your family seems to be doing pretty well. So I'm, 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 I don't take that for granted. I'm grateful because I know even a lot of people who are trying to do the right things mm. and they're not because candidly they're not doing well and it's a tough, 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 tough season. Um, I'd say, well, let's do, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about um, kind of this, this theme. I know this is one that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, we're talking about together, the great collaboration. And when you think about, and think about this too, I mean, you can think about it from a church level, but I'd love for you to also think about this as you're with the different networks that you're leading to. Why do you think it's so important that we pursue the Jesus mission, not just individually or even as individual church, but we really do this thing alongside others in collaboration? Yeah. I mean, I, if anything, this pandemic has actually made me believe it even more. Of course, I believe it because Jesus talks about it and that's what the theme is about John 17. And you know, what's, what's interesting is our city, like in the, in the tri-state area. So the city itself is eight and a half million people in the tri-state area. You know, it's 21 million perhaps. And so like our little church in Midtown Manhattan. And even though we've been seeding these new churches that have started around the city, even our Hope family, each Hope church is maybe somewhere between 75 people to maybe 400 people. So like, it's not like these are exceptionally, you know, sized churches, but um, if we were to plant even 20 or 30 of those Hope churches, like, I mean, of each of that size, like even that small little number of people that would be part of those churches. Let's say there were 20 to 30 hope churches. Let's just say that's, I don't know, let's say it's 30,000 or not 30,000, sorry, 3,000 or more or something like that, or somewhere between 3,000 and 30,000. Either way, it's a very, very small number related to the 21 million people in our city. And so just even in our square block, there's thousands of people here. And so when I start feeling territorial about like, oh, our church, we lost, you know, 50% of our people and we went from whatever, you know, uh, 200 to 100 if perhaps, or like, do I realize like there's still thousands of people on my block? And so if anything, it's made me even more kind of cognizant of the fact that we need to do this together, that we need each other. We need the body of Christ mobilized in every facet. Um, to be able to reaching, to be able to reach our entire city. And so, you know, one of the phrases that we've continued to press on during this pandemic season is, and, and really throughout the history of our churches, we want to build a great city. We don't want to just build a great church. So what does that look like for us to build a great city? And so that's where our eyes and our ears are, have been. And uh, Dave, I'm not sure if you, you're aware, we actually just purchased this building on 31st and Park, right in the middle of the city. And it's actually not a big enough space to be our gathering sanctuary, but it's a great location and it's a great venue for new churches, as well as for some medium-sized gatherings and for some living room spaces. And we purchased the building and the building was called, you know, the campaign was called For the City. And it was funny because the campaign was not like, hey, we want to buy this auditorium so we can have these new kids wings and, you know, build this bigger kind of building with a parking lot and nothing against any of those kinds of campaigns. But it was basically like our vision from the very start was to build a great city and not to build just simply a great church. So we're actually asking you to invest in a building that our church community will actually not be the primary beneficiaries of. And, um, and people gave. And it's been exciting to see. I mean, initially when the building was supposed to open April, 2020, and, you know, and then something happened in the world. And, uh, 
And then um, I was pretty depressed. I was like, why did we invest in this space? Um, but now as things have opened up a bit more, uh, it's been really encouraging to see uh, we've had four new church plants that have met in this space uh, and that are looking to regularly meet here. We've had a number of nonprofits and we've hosted tons of uh, gatherings for pastors and leaders and youth leaders. And um, so you hear the list here, but break it down. So, cause for everybody listening, so they're going like, hold on, you have four church plants meeting there. How does that even work? Yeah. So the different floors, so each floor fits a ma- like a, a maximum of 75 people. So we've got four floors And so right now there was one church that already met here during the pandemic. They've now found a bigger venue. Uh, We have two new churches that are going to be on the third floor as well as the second floor. And at different times, there's also another church that's inquiring about Saturday space. And one of the hardest things to find uh, in cities like New York, uh, I imagine Chicago is very similar, is like gathering spaces that are affordable. And so we're charging $50 an hour. Uh, for churches to meet here, they can use our equipment and uh, their people can gather and really build a launch team and uh, as well as a group that's on mission together with missional communities and that sort of thing. So, um, so, so that's what I mean by like three to four new churches. Um, and so is that something that'll continue to be almost like an incubator? Yeah. It, and then, I mean, and as they, as they grow or as they mature, as they have opportunity, they can move to other places than Someone out, some other church will get birth, that four more churches will get birth there. Yeah, yeah, that's the hope. So we've basically, we've actually put in, well, we're running up the lease agreements right now, but the, that the maximum stay is six months to a year, although it can be revised. But what we're trying to say is like, this is space for new communities with the eye towards birthing and then moving on after a year or so. And so we hope that the story of this facility is like, you know, we can look back you know, 20, 30 years from now and be like, oh yeah, this church got their start here or this church was gathering here or, you know, this nonprofit that started this missional community or this micro church that was serving this specific uh, people group in the city was, was actually really served and met here. So, um, so that's the hope for this facility. And because it's, you know, it's just two blocks away from the Empire State Building. So it's just a really great um, just a great location right in the heart of the city to be a, a place where uh, a story of just continual kingdom, you know, renewal and m- impact. So you said, okay, so they're, <coughs> you're, they're in the process, there's four churches that are brand new churches that are meeting there that are, that are coming to life and giving birth to, but then you also started on, you said there was also some not-for-profits and some other things also making use of that space. Yeah. So there's an office, an exclusive office here um, that is going to be rented out by a faith and work collective and that faith and work collective um, really it's a collective that is trying to redeem work by love from a Christian perspective. And so different entrepreneurs that we've invited here, as well as different kind of ministry uh, there's going to be co-working spaces in this place. And so the second floor is like a chapel floor. Um, we're actually doing a collaborative noontime prayer with multiple churches that are going to be um, inviting their people to pray at noontime and convening here and different churches will be leading it every, every weekday. And then the hope is that if there's a bunch of people co-working here, along with churches, as well as nonprofit leaders, you know, during the day, they can also be coming down for noontime prayer, praying together for God to move in an unprecedented way. Um, Pete Scazzaro, who you know, who's a dear friend and uh, mentor and spiritual father to me, 
you know, he'll be hosting different pastors gatherings and mentoring groups here. Um, uh, the alpha folks who we've partnered with will be hosting different trainings and gatherings and uh, Forge America, which exists to, you know, empower everyday missionaries, they will be meeting here. And so, um, so we really hope that it becomes this collaborative space where uh, we're seeing people, um, we're praying with people, and hopefully through that, we're meeting one another and gaining a vision of what kingdom collabor- collaboration would really look like. That's phenomenal. So, I mean, yeah, not even only collaboration with starting new churches, but also with not-for-profits and other ministries. That's <clears throat> now, now you got me curious too. So is this something that will also, I mean, if you're working with that, I mean, and, the, and what you're charging is absolutely ridiculously reasonable, but is that something that will also be a revenue stream then for your church? Yeah. Yeah. So th- that revenue stream definitely helps in that regard. And um and then, you know, again, we're, we're not getting maximum profit out of it. We're basically getting enough revenue so that we can pay for our building staff uh, to be here. So, um, and then help pay off some of the loan that we have. And so, yeah, so that's, that's the vision of this space um, that we have. I, I can't think of anybody else that I know who's doing, is there anybody else doing something like this? Um, you know, I don't know. I I know that a lot of people have a vision. And so one of the puzzles for us, and sorry, now we're just having a frank conversation. One of the puzzles has been because we're like the revenue streams that we could probably get if we rented it out to for-profit organizations would be a lot higher. Uh, But then that would be like tax-wise that it changes some of the tax things. So I don't know the ins and outs of that. Like our legal team has been working through that. So that's why we've only focused on nonprofits for now. And um, yeah, and there's another um, building that was purchased actually in Hell's Kitchen uh, in New York. There's a foundation called the Coram Deo Foundation or the Rima Foundation, also known as the Coram Deo Foundation. And they have a, a very similar kind of vision and heartbeat for being a house of prayer as well as entrepreneurship. So the folks over at Praxis, they office over there. Um, and I think they've had a few folks co-working there as well. And their, their vision there is also to start like a house of prayer. So we've been working with them on trying to figure out like, how do we leverage these mid-sized spaces in the heart of the city? And they're on 45th and 9th. So 45th and 9th, we're on 31st and Park. Uh, we're starting to, we're trying to start these regional hubs in Manhattan first, where at Manhattan first, just because that's where we are. Um, in we, Redeemer East Harlem also has a building that's not exactly like ours, but Redeemer East Harlem has agreed to host these prayer hubs of churches in kind of Harlem, Washington Heights. We're doing the east side of Manhattan. Hell's Kitchen is on the west side of Manhattan. And then there's a church, Lower Manhattan Community Church, as well as a number of churches like in Chinatown that have offered their space to be these hubs of prayer and collaborative prayer and mission together. So now we're just trying to figure out, let's, let's, try, to, let's try to execute one and do it really well. And meanwhile, throughout the summer, we were actually hosting these Manhattan prayer gatherings. Uh, we, started, we were switching from each of those locations just to invite pastors from all over Manhattan. And it was interesting. Like um, I, we invited about 65 churches in Manhattan alone. And, and then we invited like maybe 10 parachurches. Uh, like I'd say nine out of the 10 parachurches were all like, yes, we're in to do collaborative prayer. And then of those like 65 churches, something like, I don't know, I want to say 55 to 60 of them all said, yes, we want to start praying together. So, so I, I think, and, and New York, I think in particular has felt 
like we've all felt so broken by this past season and we all feel like we're not, we have no idea what we're doing, you know? And I was just meeting with a pastor of a large church right before this, this call. And it was, you know, he's a pastor of a church that, I don't know, it was one of the largest churches in, in Manhattan. And it was interesting. We're both talking about like, how can we work together? How can we, how can we continue to, you know, and their church is significantly larger than ours. So it was just like, how do we, how do we leverage resources? How do we deploy people? How do we begin praying together? And so I, I'm just so delighted with, um, this sounds weird, but I'm delighted with the unity that's been birthed out of our common brokenness and dependence. And it's more than ever. I feel like we're all, we've all been broken by this pandemic and the competitive, at least my prayer is that any competitive like inklings that there might be in any one of us, that all of those would be buried and that we would really look to be a mutual kind of encouragement to one another. So, yeah, so that's, um, that's some of the stuff that I've been thinking about as it relates to unity. And I don't know if it's been the same for you guys in Chicago area, Chicagoland, but I know that in New York city, there's really been a hunger and an openness and a brokenness to unity. That's um, that we were already ahead of the game to some degree with some of the work that like Tim Keller and Mac Peer and even Pete Scazzaro have done. And now I just feel like it's, it's another broken moment for us to really come together again. Yeah, I, I think we have experienced some of them. I don't think, I think any city in the United States has experienced um, probably what you experienced in New York. So, um, but I know, like, I think the level of collaboration in response to the brokenness. So for us, I mean, we already had, there was probably 30 or 40 churches that were working together through our new thing networks here. And one of the things that emerged for us, similar to what you were talking about too, is we began to see that the hardest hit communities were our predominantly African-American communities. And in fact, and in the African-American communities, one of the hardest hit was the elderly. And what they began to discover was that um, while some of them were on, um, it's not food stamps, but while they, they had subsidized, subsidies, they actually had to go to the grocery store to actually use them. And so what was happening is the elderly folks were making regular trips to the grocery store and, and having to make those regular trips to the grocery store. That's where a lot of them were then contracting COVID and then getting very sick with their age. And it was actually, you may know Watson Jones. Watson was out on the East Coast for a little while, and then he's back in Chicago now. He's part of uh, one of our networks, and Watson got a hold of us and several other churches, and he had this idea about Chicago Delivers. And he says, if we could raise the funds, we could actually have those that food delivered to those people, and literally, it could literally you know, save people's lives. And that was just one of you know, the projects we got to kind of collaborate on, which was Amazing. awesome. I, I want to jump in here, though, because I know we got people listening in. And if you're listening and you have questions for Drew, just drop them in the, in the, uh, in the chat, chat uh, function there. Um, Brooks will get, make sure we get those. We'd love to answer those questions. But I, want to, I hope, even though we haven't kind of technically got into the theme of exponential, here's why I love Drew and why you ought to take advantage anytime you get a chance to be around it. Because, I mean, Listen to his heart for collaboration, just in kind of our banter here. I mean, they buy a space and the space isn't for them. It's for other churches, other not-for-profits, and also um, even entrepreneurs. And you heard him talk about collaborating to make church plants happen. You heard him collaborating 
with Alpha. You heard him collaborating with uh, Forge. You heard him collaborating with uh, the House of Prayer. You heard him. I mean, it's. I mean, there's just such a clear heart going like, nope, this thing is bigger than just me, and we're gonna. We are better together. So I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's let's kind of kind of press into this idea of being better together. And the theme that we actually have you talking on, it kind of starts at the foundations together with God. And it's really kind of like for the leader, I mean, that's where it has to start. Before there can be a togetherness with other people or other organizations and collaboration, there really has to be this kind of collaboration, this community, this unity, this togetherness with God. Um, Just from your own experience, and maybe there's been times where you were closer to God and times when you weren't as close to God, and, and why is this so important, even to the bigger picture of collaboration? Yeah, well, I mean, I think to get to John 17, we need to go through John 15. And, you know, um, apart from you, I can do nothing. And I think, you know, I think the Western church has been so marked by the great business practices and the organizational strategic uh, thinking. And, you know, I I once heard Francis Chan um, talk about, he was talking about how he went to like one of those man-made pools, like those, you know, those, and then he's, you know, they would catch these waves and stuff. And then he went out to the, yeah. And then he went out to the ocean and then he saw these, like just these ferocious waves, you know, and he's like, you know, that's what I want. And I realize that, you know, in some ways, you know, and there are those stories, stories in Acts where, you know, sons of Sceva, like people are doing works of God in Jesus' name. And yet they don't actually know God or even have a relationship with God, you know? And in some ways, the gift of strategy and business practices and all that stuff as it relates to, and the formulas that tend to work related to church planning and everything else. And keep in mind, I am actually a strategist. So I eat that stuff up. I love leadership conferences. So it's not like I'm trying to dog on any of them. Um, But I know for myself that I can easily not be in step with the spirit, not be connected to the vine and be creating those artificial waves. And I think there's a certain measure of brokenness that has befallen me and so many others in this pandemic season. And like I mentioned, that brokenness and humility is probably what's leading to more of these unity efforts. But that brokenness and humility is also hopefully leading me to more conscious dependence of the Holy Spirit, uh, depending on God to do a work, to create a wave that I can just stand in awe of and not believe that it had anything to do with me. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that I'm not going to put my hours in, nor am I going to start, you know, put my strategic brain off. But instead, I need, if anything, I think all of us, the reason why we signed up for this is because each one of us had a miraculous supernatural encounter with the spirit of the living God that awakened our senses to why the good news really matters in every way. And I think all of us would say that when we first signed up for this, we want people to have that same experience, not an experience of some sort of artificial kind of man-made movement, but rather like just this enormous wave that can only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so apart from, apart from me, you can do nothing. I think God is saying to us. And I think being together with God, for me, as someone who my leaning is strategy and giftings and like what I know I could do. And really it's, you know, the invitation for us. And I think the invitation for this first theme of being together with God is saying before God, I don't, I don't want to create artificial ways. I want to be utterly dependent on the God who raises the dead, who parts the Red Sea, who created the universe, you know, like that's, that's what I want. And so, so I think it's absolutely essential. Um, so, and, you know, that means that there will be good times and lots of flourishing and movement making, but it also means there's going to be desert seasons. And I think the one thing that will sustain us through everything, and of course, the heart of exponential is multiplication, see God's kingdom advance. And the reality is there's ebbs and flows, there's seasons to it, seasons of desert and winter and seasons of springtime. And, uh, and through it all, the one thing that will sustain us ultimately is how connected we are to the vine. And um, so it is absolutely fundamentally essential that we remain together with God. I know for me, uh, I think this last year, I think every day since whatever it was in March, now mm-hmm. almost a year, like in my in my uh, my journal here. Yeah. I find myself. I I keep coming back to like James one five, mm-hmm. and I write the verse down and I ask God, God give me wisdom, because mm. uh, I I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, I would like to think I was. I mean, I guess there was a certain level of dependency, but I think you're right. This whole thing is thrown all it's such a curveball mm-hmm. that that I find myself almost like kind of okay, God, you promised James one five. If I wanted wisdom and I asked for it, you, give it to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bring it on. Yeah. Um, there's there, there there yeah. There's so much. It's just there's so much you don't know and so much you feel like. Think, you know, we, we have a community for strategy leadership, both of us do. Um, but there's a lot of that stuff going like, hold it, that doesn't work in the way it used to. Mm-hmm. And coming out of it, it feels like no, we're not going back either. Yeah. And what what kind of what? So when you talk about like again, the kind of the idea together with God, that's something that's happened before collaboration for you personally too. Are there certain practices that you have that you're going like? Okay, I know um, I'm tracking at least in the right direction. Um, you kind of keep coming back to over and over again that, yeah. that makes sure. Yeah. Together for, with- I mean, for me, Sabbath keeping has been huge. Um, I think Sabbath. You've been, you been able to do that pretty good. I mean, over the last year and a half. Yeah. I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, it was a little bit harder because we were all, you know, locked inside and stuff, but yeah, Sabbath keeping has been a, a tremendous gift and a 24-hour period uh, by which we would stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And we would put away all the work and the tech stuff. We would do things that gave us life. We would rest. We would have copious amounts of time with family to do things that are life-giving. We would spend time doing imaginative prayer with our kids Um, and my wife and I would spend more leisurely time together. And so Sabbath keeping really kept me, you know, it was interesting reading like, um, 
somewhere, I forget the reference to it, but about how Sabbath keeping kept during the Holocaust for some Jewish communities, how Sabbath keeping was really a life-saving practice for them in the midst of one of the most harrowing experiences in concentration camps. And in the same way, I think Sabbath is this defiant kind of gift that's given to us as a command to basically say you're, you're given permission to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And I think the, the rhythm of Sabbath actually gave us the rhythm of taking in a self-inventory. Dave, one of the things I've picked up from you is you, you take that, I've, I've heard you talk about this, where you have this little meter where you take you know, an inventory of yourself, how you're doing relationally, personally, emotionally. And uh, I, Dave, yeah, you have been such a model for that for me of like taking regularly regular inventory and Sabbath is that time for me of regular inventory of like, wow, I'm grieving a lot right now. And I realize my impulse is to work harder, but where's that coming from as well? And um, why do I feel so reactive to that staff person right now who wants to take more time off because they're feeling depressed? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Now's the time to get going. And, and I, I realized doing a lot of that soul work, I just need the time and the space to do that. And so I think Sabbath keeping has been huge for me. And something that we've talked about a lot too, is just crafting a rule of life, um, rule of life, being a conscious, uh, intentional plan to keep Jesus at the center. And which is kind of like that practice that you do and the rule of life when it comes to the four quadrants of prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And uh, I'm, so my wife and I are constantly taking inventory of what's happening in our own souls, what's happening in my own life, what's happening. Um, and how do I remain kind of rooted in scripture, meditation, silence. Um, so I would say those practices have been super helpful for me. I don't get it right all the time. Uh, you know, it's been fascinating, even looking back over the past year and a half. Uh, and Dave, I'm not sure if you've, um, if this has happened to you where I'm like, oh man, we, I, I totally missed it on that decision, you know, or I totally missed it on that decision, but learning to have grace for myself, learning to remain not cynical and jaded, but still remain open and humble and uh, hopeful about kind of the future and stuff. So, um, so I think it's been my regular times of Sabbath where I've been able to pray in silence and uh, spend some extended time in scripture um, and with people that I love that have, um, and that love me that have really been, um, those things that have really kept me rooted in Jesus, I would say, I haven't been perfect. And I was just journaling the other day about some decisions that uh, my anxieties got the best of me. And um, I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, I probably didn't give enough space for prayer for that decision, or I didn't give enough space for prayer for the decision not to move forward with that, or you know, I should have said yes to that, or things like that. You know, so I think that inventory taking uh, and that constant being before God. And I'd say the last practice is my spouse, of course, you know, <laughs> she's like the walking Oracle who's um, I'm, you know, I, I'm always surprised, but I shouldn't be at how accurate her listening to the spirit is by way of her own observations of when I'm not walking in the spirit. So. That's super helpful. And uh, you've been a real encouragement to me in this, this undertaking of a Sabbath and I, even the way I say it is the wrong way undertaking. I say it like it's a burden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and of course Pete too. Um, and it's something that, that Sue and I have, have, have tried to integrate um, 
sometimes with success and sometimes not with success. But I do, I think it's a, it's a great, I think it's a great example. And I think you're exactly right. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, we do have, we got one question here too. I'll go ahead and throw that at you. It says, um, how do you, how do you help lead a church staff to focus more on the idea of together with God than on strategies? Cause you kind of, you were talking about that. I think we both kind of, Huh. I mean, I guess you'd call it a confession, but it's also something we enjoy strategies, but you'd rather be more dependent on God than strategies. So how do you, how do you help your staff do that um, um, as well? Yeah, you know, so much of, you know, part of a significant piece of our discipleship pathway is emotionally healthy discipleship, uh, which is the, you know, the courses uh, pioneered by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro uh, that I've been um, deeply influenced by. And what's interesting is, you know, Pete asked me, he was like, Drew, you're the one spearheading the courses and you're constantly leading these courses at, you know, which is basically a 16 week endeavor. You're constantly going with a group of people through this, like multiple times a year. Why don't you offsource that to someone else? And of course, of course, I want to multiply it. And I said to Pete, Pete, the reason why I do that is uh, because I need like yeah. the, the workaholism is so deep in me and the strategy oriented growth oriented track is so strong in me. I need to constantly be reminded towards everything else. So if you can imagine, there's like this tidal wave of like my own makeup as well as my family history and everything else, as well as the culture at large, which, and social media doesn't help if I'm comparing myself to everyone else, like there's that tidal wave. So I need just as strong of like reinforcements to fight against all of that. And so for me, those courses have been those, um, those pillars for our church about the culture that we're trying to be. And so much of the language that we use in emotionally healthy discipleship is integrity. Are we truly living out who we're, we're saying we are? Are we a people who more than, you know, one of the things that uh, Pete says a lot is success is doing God's will, God's way and in his timing. And so Success for us, you know, uh, like at the beginning of the pandemic, we basically level set with our staff. And I know this is hard for me to admit and even hard for me to say, it was like, hey guys, we're actually going through, and I know Andy Croach wrote about the whole ice age thing. We're going through an ice age and um, let's just not expect to grow in more of those traditional statistics that perhaps there are. But let's, let's really grow in terms of the texture of our rootedness in Jesus. And so, yeah. And so because of that, well, that's, that became the priority. And so, like I mentioned, we've actually decreased in those. Um, but you'll be proud of us, Dave. We, we started, uh, we launched, we, we sent out people to start new churches, but we decreased in terms of our overall church. And I actually just stopped I just stopped looking at those, you know, at what was happening and who's shown up and what's not, you know, um, and we, we actually don't count our Sunday attendance to begin with, but, you know, I could get a general feel obviously of who was online and things like that. But like, we, we just stopped focusing on that. And during the pandemic season, it was like, let's focus on whether each one of us is in a vibrant space with Jesus. And so we would regularly take inventory um, of ourselves we would talk about emotional health. Uh, our staff would go through the courses um, uh, and we would evaluate ourselves on how are we doing? Are we being before doing? Um, 
Are we all taking copious amounts of time for our family and our loved ones? And, you know, so the ironic thing is the way that we would start our kind of a lot of our meetings is at the beginning, we would basically just say, hey, everyone, we're in the middle of global pandemic. And uh, in some ways, like just that truth telling, that reality truth telling was this way of basically like snapping all of us into thinking like, hey, you know, if, if our giving's down, if we're, you know, like all of us are here and we get to serve Jesus in the city that we love when so many people are leaving, like, you know what, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but Jesus is still on the throne and he's going to carry us and we're here and we're in it together, you know? And so... So for us, um, you know, I think that question of how do you lead a church to focus on that, I think regular inventory and praying together needs to happen. For us, again, our main discipleship pathway is there. And I think during the pandemic, it's been the reality and truth telling of like, we actually don't expect to be, you know, we've grown by a gazillion million people here. You know, it was more so like, hey, let's just be mindful of the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, Let's stay rooted to Jesus and stay healthy in terms of our relationships. And let's do the best we can and see what the spirit can do. So. That's super helpful. Um, if, if others, we have, we have a few more minutes here with Drew. So please have, put those in the chat. We'd be glad to respond. Sticking with this theme again, of to, to, together with God is, as kind of the, the foundational idea of which all collaboration is built upon. <clears throat> Maybe it'd be helpful just to kind of name what are what are some of the barriers? What are the things that get in the way? You kind of touched on some already, but get in the way of us being together with God. The things that have the gravitational pull pulling us away from God. Yeah, I mean, I think the culture that I mean, at first, my family of origin. I come from a workaholic. You better you better work and not rest because you've got to survive in this country. I mean, that was basically like. My dad came with $80 in my pocket. You better make this work, you know, and we're sacrificing everything for you. So like that mentality is so steep to me. So my family of origin, I think the culture around us uh, that continues to perpetuate, you know, you are what you do and what you produce. Um, and, you know, it's been interesting, the whole Simone Biles kind of like the controversy around her saying, I, I can't do this, you know? And um, I think the tension for most folks is that I think the, the previous generations have been so adamant about it's gold or bust. You give everything for that gold medal. And so the value system around our culture, so much of it is around production and winning, you know, and um, I actually like, I, 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 li I like that value as well, you know, and, uh, and I think the gospel can actually speak to that value of excellence and, you know, pouring yourself out. But I think sometimes the culture around us, uh, especially in a town like this in New York, I mean, so much of it is what have you produced? How much money do you make? And, you know, and then when we baptize that with Christian ideals, um, which again, because uh, producing and reaching more people, that's all part of the Great Commission and part of mission. But when it gets baptized in this shadow ambition, I think it becomes a really unhealthy obsession. And oftentimes it's the people around me that know more than I do when it becomes this unhealthy ambition. And so I think for me, I think, you know, my family of origin, I think the culture around us and sadly, even the Christian culture, you know, and um, speaking of Sabbath keeping, you know, AJ Swoboda in his book, Subversive Sabbath, one of the things that he writes about is how 
he, he said, you know, it's interesting that um, remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, which is the fourth commandment, it's the only commandment that if pastors obey that commandment, they'll get fired, uh, which is stunning, right? Because of course, it's the Ten Commandments. If we should be, you know, if we, if we follow that, we're living in the manner in which God wants us to live. And yet it's the only one that if we follow it, somehow churches will think that our pastors are not working hard enough, you know? And so I think it's even steeped in the whole Protestant work ethic and the church cultures around us that are driven. Um, I know that I had to, I had to get off of social media in a significant way during the pandemic. Uh, and this is not to say that every pastor should get off of social media. Cause I know that so much of it was about digital engagement during this next season, but I found myself comparing myself way too frequently uh, and then getting depressed about it. So I would compare myself to other preachers who had um, and other worship teams and other like, you know, and then I find myself coveting. I'd be like, man, I wish you were there. And then I'd, I'd start wishing ill on them. And then I'd see videos pop up of other churches and pastors and then start feeling sorry for myself. And I just realized that what it was birthing in me was not the fruit of the spirit. It was just birthing a whole lot of insecurity and inherent pressure. And um, so so I think there's so many things that tend to vie for for anything but the will of God for us. And so, so I, I'd say that those are the things that keep me from being together with God uh, in an ironic way is, and of course, I think the devil would like nothing more than to do that, to distract us from being rooted in Jesus and being joyful in him. And um, so it's funny, cause I look back over the season, and I'm like, yeah, you know, our church actually, we decreased quite a bit. We took a significant financial hit. And uh, I'm, I'm not as discouraged as I thought I would be, you know? And I, I think it's, I don't think it's because I'm a super person or anything. I think it's because um, we just tried to level set a lot of those things. Uh, and now hopefully we're ready to rebuild and feel like we're in it for as long as God would have us serving in this city. Um, so. That's super helpful. I hope everybody kind of took note there. I mean, yeah, take a look inside. What are your own? you know, family of origin issues, stuff that you brought with you that maybe caused you to, uh, that, that pulls you away from God towards kind of whatever this vision of success is. Of course, culture, like you mentioned, shows up in social media and, and even the evil one, even Satan himself. Um, we got, a, we had another question that popped in here too. I'll throw this one at you, Drew. It says, how do you create an environment where people feel comfortable giving you feedback or insight into how, uh, how you're doing, maybe how they're doing, uh, like you mentioned. How do you create that kind of a, uh, environment or culture? Well, our staff team is smaller than like the big ones where you could have like these anonymous surveys and stuff, you know, or anonymous 360 feedback loops. Um, but we actually did an anonymous survey, even though it was smaller. But we did the survey based on, there's actually on emotionallyhealthy.org, um, which is, again, an organization that I love and am deeply committed to um, around discipleship that goes beneath the surface. Emotionallyhealthy.org, there's actually um, six markers of a healthy church culture. And so our church, during the pandemic, we would actually revisit those six markers. Uh, mm-hmm. And those six markers were basically, we did, it again, an inventory. Uh, we realized, and, you know, so being before doing, you know, uh, 
are we a place that lead out of our marriages and singleness, you know, things like that. And we took an inventory and, and then of course there's me personally is constantly looking for feedback from the people closest to me as well. Um, because I've realized as much as I don't like to admit this, I think as the lead pastor of our church, I'm easily the most blind person. (laughs) Everyone else can see what's going on in terms of like, like the shadow ambitions that we talked about or whatever else. And I realized like, I'm so blind to it. Um, And so I need, I need the feedback of those key leaders um, around me to help me to be able to see and to help me to be able to discern what, what is the Lord saying to me? And then the Sabbath keeping. And then we also as a church have a practice of uh, our lead pastors being on sabbaticals. So our next sabbatical is next summer. And the sabbatical for me is like an extended Sabbath, a time to, uh, first extricate myself from the organization so that I am, I'm no longer essential to the operations. And second, and that requires a lot of soul work in me. And second, for me to do more inventory work, uh, to meet with counselors and spiritual directors, to see the areas of anguish of life, as well as death that have been kind of brewing in me over the past three years, every three years we take a sabbatical and stuff. So so those are some things that we've done, uh, but I know it's really hard because uh, I, th- I think the lead pastor or the person who's the head of the organization can easily set a culture where that feedback loop. Actually, Dave, I'd love to hear what you think. Um, do you? What do you guys do related to feedback and stuff? Oh, gee, uh, I mean, we, we 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 actually took advantage. Are you familiar with the Workplace Institute? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we, um, we did that. Um, I think we've been doing that for the last five or six years. And they do a nice job where they actually give you a score on a number of different things. And since it's a little larger staff, we are able to get feedbacks by either different locations or different ministry areas and that kind of stuff. And so that's been helpful. We're also, one of the things we tried to do during the pandemic, though, too, is we just, we doubled the number of staff meetings we have and wow. it wasn't, it was more just because we, cause we were doing everything on zoom yeah. and just so we just hang out. And now that, and we've kind of, and now that we're back in person again, we've kind of continued that. But the second one, I mean, we always eat together. The second one is we just we meet at one of our locations and someone, you know, maybe the community pastor there, someone will pick out a, a restaurant and we all go out to eat together. Oh, um, okay. We're just trying to create that kind of, we're, we're trying to not just create, maybe in some ways just kind of restore. I think we're going to restore the kind of the, the good community like we had before. And yeah. I think the formal things that we do with BCWI, Best Christian Workplace Institute is great, but just having that kind of, a, those kind of relationships, I think. And then one of the values that we have is we, all of our team, we do consistent one-on-ones with each other where we're, we're, and we encourage them to check in what you refer to the RPMs. How are you doing on all these areas of relational, relational, physical, mental, and spiritual? Mm. Uh, I think we've also tried to, and I, I think other people on our team actually have led the way. So I don't want, I definitely want to take credit for this. I think have led the way in talking about um, some of the um, struggles, even in, with mental illness kind of stuff and how it's just beating the crap out of a lot of us right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, one of our CPs who said, Hey, and he's, he's an eight on the Enneagram. So he's a go getter. And I love having my team. And he's just, he's awesome. I mean, anybody would want this guy. He's phenomenal. 
And he just, one of our all staffs, because we were all just talking about how hard it's been this last year. He, he just told all of us about when he was on his way home from vacation on the plane, he just, he started having an anxiety attack. Wow. He said, I, he said it totally freaked me out. I didn't know what was going on. He said, fortunately, my wife is a nurse. So he knew what was going on and she was able to give me some deep breathing exercise and I was able to get through the flight and, and some other people on our team too also talked about, yeah, how waking up early in the morning and, you know, sleeplessness, it's, 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 you know, just kick them in the butt like never before. Wow. So I think if you, I think you can create an environment where people are telling the truth. Um, that makes a, that, you know, and people are being vulnerable. That that's, and we've tried to do that. And that's, I think that that's a big, big, big help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We get off here though. I don't, I, because I, I want to pick your brain with this maybe more selfishly. Um, and I think our listeners will like listening to this too. As, as in the current environment and even looking forward, what opportunities do you see that maybe weren't there before for kingdom multiplication? And of course you already told us about what you're doing with that building and using that almost like a incubator for birthing new churches, which I love, but are there other things out there that you see, um, that are opportunities for kingdom multiplication. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm basically just going to quote you, Dave, cause I heard you talk about this, but <laughs> so, um, is being one church, multiple expressions. And so we're actually in the process of starting like a network of missional communities slash micro churches slash whatever. So that'll be one expression. We're going to continue our hope churches that look more traditional we're still kind of, we're thinking through the whole digital space around evangelism and mission, you know? And uh, so, so all of that really one church, multiple expressions. And um, yeah, uh, you know, what's interesting in the city too, is like, I don't, I don't know if the big, you know, talking to some of the large church pastors, I, I don't know if, I mean, who knows, but the big, big mega gatherings, you know, and in New York, of course, anything larger than like, I don't know, 300 is a mega gathering, but I'm talking about like the gatherings of like a thousand plus, like, we're just not sure if churches, like if that's the future, you know? Um, And I know that's happened on a different scale in different suburban areas, but I know in the city, that's one of the ponderings. and I think most churches now are thinking through that whole, like, what does one church multiple expressions look like? What if instead of buying like one gargantuan building, what if we could have multiple buildings like this embedded in different neighborhoods that are basically kind of incubators for kingdom innovation and mission all throughout the city, you know? Um, okay. I'll tell you what, as a real life um, example of collaboration, I hear a lot of our whole exponential family. Um, how far along are you on, on kind of uh, going ahead and starting uh, these micro sites or micro churches? Uh, well, Laura Hairston is actually leading it. Do you know Laura, Laura and Ryan? Yeah. I love Laura. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's phenomenal. So she's actually in the throes of pioneering it. So um, very excited well, about it. We are on it. Cause um, and I'm watching the clock. I think we've got, uh, we got two more minutes or something. Um we um we started last year, and again, that was going on. 
we, we launched our first five, uh, three are in Spanish, two are in English, four in Chicago, one's in Southern California. And we're getting ready to commission on the next five. And they're all, they're volunteer led, 16 to 50 people. They live, work and play. But I, if you're seriously wanting to, if you're seriously going to do this, I mean, let's have, why don't me and you talk and we ought to do, I introduce, let's get Laura and, and, and Rodrigo Cano, who's the guy in our team, who's the point person. We're going to have them talk because we have developed this real simple assessment and we've also got a curriculum. I'd love to share it with you guys and you guys make it better or, you know, and I know Laura's heart because she's done stuff with Forge. We had a, if I was betting, okay, here's the thing. If I was betting on a kingdom initiative, uh, let's say, let's say it this way. If I was putting money down, okay, trying to invest, I think that's the, it's a high risk, but I think that's the one that may pay off in the future. I love it. Now, I don't know. I love it. But, yeah. If you, think, if you guys are really thinking about doing that, I would love for us to partner, even if it's just like sharing what we're learning back and forth. I would love that, Dave. Yes, absolutely, man. I, you know, as you can probably tell, I'm like stealing stuff from you all the time or learning from you. And I would love, I would love to hear more and connect those, those things together. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, if, um, after we get off, I'll shoot you an email and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll at least connect Rodrigo and Laura and they can get started on, on that and you know, continually compare notes. That um, sounds great. Yeah. That's fantastic. If you're listening in as a part of the exponential family, and you know you're thinking about trying this different form of multiplication. I mean, shoot me, uh, shoot me an email. Uh, Brooke, go ahead and put my email in the in the chat there, and um, I'll share whatever we've got so far. And and if I can steal some stuff from Drew, we'll we'll share that too with his permission. So, um, anything else you want to give everybody? We got about kind of two minutes before we wrap up. Um, maybe kind of a closing charge on collaboration, why it's so important for, you know, for movement making and, and really accomplishing the Jesus mission. Uh, nothing more other than we need each other. We need God and we need each other. And um, so grateful for the exponential family that continues to press forward into these kingdom values um, because we really do need each other. Amen. Love you, Drew. Thanks for all you do. You're a constant inspiration. And um, look forward to uh, getting to see each other face to face, which yeah. we will. It'll be cool. And um, and if uh, if you're in the Chicago area, make sure you show up at our regional here. If not, we're gonna have five of them um, across the country. And then also, there you go. There's some of the people that will be speaking to the Chicago one. We have a great lineup in addition to Drew, Scott McKnight, John Ferguson, Hosanna. Uh, Wong, who's she's amazing. The Wilsons, Homero Garcia. Have you met Homero Garcia, Drew? No, I have not. When you when you come to Chicago, I introduce you to Homero. This is a guy yeah. out on his own. He's out there and he's planted like twenty churches. He's just crushing it. Wow. Uh, Watson Jones, who I mentioned a little while ago. Albert Taylor will be with us. Charlie Dates. So really, really great lineup. So thank you, Exponential Family. Better together.